Hello, everyone, and welcome to the California MBA Connect podcast. I'm Josh Van Seal over in Accelerate, and today we get to uh, do a podcast takeover on actually what happens to be the 100th episode uh, for the CMBA, which is pretty remarkable to think that even, you know, three, four years ago, things like the po uh, podcast for someone like the CMBA probably wouldn't have been thought of. So it's interesting how quickly, you know, times change. I think we'll talk a little bit about that. And, you know, that's what Incelerate tries to help with. We're, you know, trying to be innovative technology leaders in the mortgage space. So you can always come look at uh, our company, see how we can help you as well. Now, I'm really excited to have with me uh, guests who I've been fortunate to know Rob for, I don't know, going on 10 years now, I think is, is probably about what it's been. And um, uh, everyone, I think, you know, I always tell Rob, Rob is the most known person in the mortgage industry. We did ask him to start with it. We did ask him to start with a joke today. Uh, if anyone, uh, you know, since since you, uh, you're you so infamous for those, Rob. So why don't we start with the joke and then we can hop into what we're going to talk about, which is everyone loves to hear rate, secondary market, you know, what's going on in, uh, you know, the mortgage market generally and what are the, you know, the, the broad changes that we see happening. Well, thank you for preparing me for the request for a joke, Josh. So a dog, a dog walks into a, a limping dog walks into a saloon and says, I'm looking for the man who shot my paw. How's that? Is it, oh, and then, then in, uh, then in uh, quotes or uh, parentheses, you know, wait for, wait for laughter to stop. Yeah. So, that was good. All right. That's a good joke. I like that one. My kids can use too. So, you know, I think it's interesting. Um, Kind of where we are in the market right now we've been talking about that the market's going to be seeing rising rate environment that the fed's going to raise rates you know last year during covid the the thought was no there's no such thing as inflation it's just you know happens to be supply demand chain you know issues and it'll change as soon as you know it opens up but it looks like we are getting more into inflation the market has started to change rates are you know rising um i'm you know interesting rob what do you, you know, just kind of what's your comments, where you think the market is, you know, where do you think the, are we going to continue to see rates rise? Are we going to see them level out? You know, what what are your thoughts there? Use your crystal ball. Boy, I hate crystal balls. We used to keep a, a coin on the trading desk and when, when some client would ask which way are rates going, we'd flip it and heads they were going up, tails they were going down, which uh, is just as good as some of the uh, forecasts I've heard. But overall, the as we saw at the mid-March Fed meeting, they mm -hmm. raised rates, or the, I should say, they bumped targeted Fed fund rate up a quarter, as, as expected. The general consensus is that they will raise rates throughout 2022. However, as we saw with a flight to quality when Russia attacked Ukraine, there's not, a, a smooth path toward higher rates. Nobody nobody wants higher rates, but you know when <clears throat> when 30 year rates were down in the twos, we knew they weren't going to go into the ones, right? So yeah. almost nowhere nowhere to go up but up. So we're seeing that go up, and lenders and and loan originators are reacting to that. But it's important for people to remember why rates are going up, and that's because as we came out of 2021 and into 2022, there was this huge pent up demand for consumer goods, huge pent-up demand for travel, for dining out. The airports were filling up, the restaurants were filling up, the roads were filling up. So you just saw this, this surge of economic activity that 
for many people, it had been a year or two since they took their family on a vacation or went to Disneyland or whatever it might be. So there's a lot of demand for, for things and that surge in economic growth coupled with some of the supply chain issues that we were having really bumped prices up. And so the Fed seeing that probably got caught behind the eight ball to some extent, has been playing catch up with this inflationary picture. But then when Russia attacked Ukraine, suddenly we saw this flight to quality driving prices higher, rates lower. So a lot of volatility came out of the Russia-Ukraine situation, but the overall trend for rates is expected to go higher because of the inflation that we all are seeing at the gas pump and the grocery store with rent and so on. No, that's, that's, that's interesting. You know, I wonder as the rates rise, you know, we've had a very robust housing market. I mean, the year-over-year growth is just, you know, drastically increasing. And, you know, I've looked at the view of if rates continue to rise, our, can home prices rise at this rate? You know, because how do you support people are buying a house? It's really what they qualify for, which is how much money they have to put down in their debt-to-income ratio. So that's, it's like leasing a car. It doesn't matter how much the car costs. It's how much you have to put down, how much you have to pay for it to drive it for three years. Those are usually the drivers. So I don't know if you, you know, see home prices go up and down, but I think that's going to be, obviously there's a lot of volatility right now. So that's going to, you know, change a lot. So through March and April, done a fair amount of traveling. And as I drive through neighborhoods, I keep a semi-conscious look for, lookout for, for sale signs. I have yet to see any appreciable number of for sale signs, coast to coast. The inventory continues to be low. People still want to own homes. And many people, while they weren't going to Disneyland or eating out in restaurants during the pandemic, have saved up a fair amount of money. And in fact, the American or the savings rate in the United States, I think hit an all time high or near an all-time high. So people have money to spend. And the question is, and I think viewers need to ask themselves, okay, if I've got money saved up, do I want to buy treasury bills or notes or bonds? Do I want to buy municipal bonds? Do I want to buy Bitcoin? Do I want to buy you know, virtual art? Do I want to buy stocks? You know, or do I want to buy real estate? And real estate, throughout history has shown decent levels of appreciation, not like we've seen over the last couple of years, which is very unusual, but steady growth uh, in real estate over time. And so people who have saved up money, when you talk to them about what are you gonna do with your money, a lot of them will say, well, we're gonna put it back into our home in terms of home improvements, or they wanna buy a second home, or they wanna buy a, a non-owner occupied home, whatever it might be, it seems like real estate is is highly in demand. So even though the affordability has declined because of appreciation and because of higher interest rates, people still want to own that asset. And that's what we're seeing out there in the marketplace. Is that is that what you're seeing as well? No, I, I think that is, um, you know, what we are seeing. The inventory hasn't come back. You know, there's still, there's still a, massive shortage in inventory, then I think you're right, people have saved up their money. 
and uh, you know they have more money to spend and they're ready to buy houses. And also, I think the other thing we we've seen is or from consumers over the last two years, we spent more times in our house in our homes than we normally do. So that desire to have a house that's really comfortable and to be what you want it to be, and if hey shoot, I can get a better house in case this happens again, and I want to have a pool in the backyard. I think that's you know we're seeing a lot of that as well. Um, you know, I, one I of the agree. the the uh, people are investing in in high quality art for those houses. I have uh, dogs playing poker on my uh, living room uh, above the fireplace. At, you know, place of honor. So anyway, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Okay. No, I like that. Um, it's also something we've seen. This is kind of um, maybe a follow-up question to just housing, but we've started to see a lot more non-QM products come out over the last six to twelve months, and even before, more interest-only, less down payment. There's all there's a this whole new I don't know resurgence of lending right now. What do you you know? Are you seeing that? Do you what do you what do you see about that? Maybe this will be the year for non-QM because it's supposed to have been the year for non-QM ever since non-QM was invented. And we haven't seen it yet for a variety of reasons. The investor demand is certainly out there for higher yielding products. The borrower demand is there for things like bank statements. And I know in the middle of March, United Wholesale came out with a bank statement program, and companies are looking at the ability to repay requirements with perhaps a slightly different angle. When you talk to veteran loan officers and veteran lenders in general about, gee, do we want to go back to 2006, 2007, 2008 with you know Nina loans and Ninja loans and state of this and so forth? The answer is invariably no. But that said, if there is some investor appetite for some product, there will be originators who originate that product and send it to that investor. So there's definitely a push-pull that's going on there, and different programs are coming into vogue, I would say, as we pass through 2022 more than in previous years. Bond programs are coming back. Down payment assistance programs are good to have. And the non-QM, private label, jumbo, some of these peripheral products that aren't going to amount to you know a huge percentage of the market are picking up a little bit of steam because so many borrowers in the last few years have, have obtained 30-year fixed rate FHA, VA, Fannie, Freddie loans at you know in the twos or low threes. And they're in good shape. They're set. So now the deals that I'm seeing, and I want to ask you and what's, what Accelerate is seeing, but but now I'm seeing with the little hairier deals that are coming through, originators are looking for other avenues and other loan products. Are you at Accelerate seeing the same thing? We are actually. That's something I've, you know, a lot of our lenders um, that were having the refi, we're seeing do non-QM and then also HELOCs. That's that's a product that's come back in the marketplace. I mean, there really hasn't been anyone selling HELOCs in a massive way for a long time. And there's a lot of people that have a two, you know, two and a half percent interest rate, but have all this equity and they love to be able to uh, tap that. Um, I, I think something that was is interesting to note, and you talked about the meltdown 2006, seven, eight, and so forth. The reality up into that period, we had like a very healthy secondary market that had these loans in it for 20, 30 years that performed great. 
So we only had like a brief period and then it completely went away. Right. You know, now we're maybe like 10% back to where we were. And maybe we get to 20, you know, it's, it's, there's still, I think a lot of high quality um, loans out there and borrowers that just don't fit the traditional box. And I think that we're seeing lenders trying to figure out, all right, well, how do I really understand who has, who can pay, how it's going to perform and, you know, what's really someone's income and you know, how do I make exceptions or, you know, programs that fit those people who don't have this, you know, traditional income. You know, that's, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely changing. Um, what do you, you know, something that we're seeing is we've, over the last, let's say, six months have gotten, uh, let's say, a record uh, resurgence of people asking to look at our product, look going on to our website, uh, looking at technology. We're speaking to more people now than we have um, even in the past about, you know, hey, it's time to get new software. Um, and we're, we're moving into a new era. And, you know, let's face it, we, I think up 2020 was when everyone said, hey, we got to do it because otherwise we can't compete for the next, you know, the new new decade. But then refinance market hit in place and you could be really inefficient and do anything you, you could do anything you wanted and still make a lot of money. So people didn't invest. Are you seeing, you know, your lenders that you work with and talk to, are, are you seeing them readdressing kind of their technology stack, making changes, comp plans, how that we're seeing the amount of in, um uh, interest in consumer direct lending has just gone through the roof over the last six to nine months. You know, we're seeing a Are you seeing something similar to that? Or absolutely, the in general, the residential lenders or the residential lending industry is filled with you know smart people who can think on their feet and who act and react, and they like to say that they are going to where the puck is going versus where the puck has been. I know that's overused, but it's still very very good saying. And companies and individuals are looking at their technology infrastructure or their tech stack, whatever you might call it, and saying, what is best going to help my borrower? It's not so much, let's go get the bright, shiny object. It's what's going to best suit my customer and what best fits in with my other technology pieces that I use and that I like. So I'm definitely seeing that. And it's not so much technology replacing people. It is technology being used to leverage existing people's efforts and brain power and experience and help them do a better job. And I'm, I'm seeing an immense amount of that as I, as I travel around the U.S. and talk to lenders and CEOs and originators and so forth. It's, it's how, what, what's out there that can best help my borrower and how does it fit with my other components? Well, that makes sense. The, the, the other thing we're seeing is lenders say, ask themselves this question, how do I change my costs to produce a loan? What are the things I need to put in place? And a lot of them are coming mm -hmm. to the conclusion that they have to do something drastically different in technology to drive a lower cost to produce loan because there's too many human dependencies or or human processes that 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 just increase costs versus you know speed up efficiencies and obviously reduce the cost to produce a loan the loan closes faster it's cheaper to the consumer they're happy everyone's happy right exactly i'm i'm seeing that as well the the, the the race will not be won by the high cost producer, put it that way. And to the extent that they can, companies 
if you think about the capital markets, you know, the, the MBS price is here and the servicing is that, so it gets up to that level. Pretty much everybody is is selling loans or selling what they manufacture at a certain price. The question is, how can they adjust their cost downward to help their profit margin? And I'm seeing that everywhere, trying trying to become more efficient and trying to help their customers at the same time as becoming more efficient, lowering costs. It's it's happening everywhere, and it and it's using up a tremendous amount of bandwidth by managers and by owners at all at all lending shops. Yeah, no, we're seeing that, and, and you know, it's we're seeing a lot of lenders look at the next handful of years of being very different than the last twenty. I mean, they have to do things differently, and you know, they come off a couple year record of profits. So a lot of them have you know, increased balance sheets and, you know, the, the smart ones are really invested now, you know, in their, like, either, as you said, going where the hockey puck's going to be, figuring out that in three years they have to be, their technology and their their experience for their borrower has to be, you know, you know world-class if they want to compete. So, we're you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of that. We're running out of time here. Um, so, I just want to say, Rob, as always, it's been uh, great to have you. I really appreciate it. Uh, Susan Malazzo and the CNBA really appreciate letting us take this, uh, taking the podcast over and congratulations on, on having a hundred of them. And, uh, Rob, wait, where are you right now, by the way? Oh, at a, at a non-disclosed location, Josh, I can't, I can't release that information, but, uh, yes, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you to the California MBA for, for having this podcast and go and celebrate. Thanks. All right, everybody have a great day. Go.